All right, I invite you to pull out your Bible if you brought one. And if you didn't, you can um, pull one from the seat back in front of you and open up to page two because we're looking at Genesis chapter two this morning, verses 18 to 25. So Genesis chapter two, verses 18 to 25, which is page number two in the Pew Bible. In their book, uh, The Passionate Life, Mike Breen and Walter Kallstadt state, life should come with a warning label. Do not attempt this by yourself. Life is too complicated, too dangerous, too unfulfilling when tried all alone. That's the message of today's passage. Probably the place we are most likely to hear today's passage is at a wedding, But as we'll see, um, this passage is about much more than marriage. It's about life and who we're living it with. This morning, we begin a series on the book of Genesis. We'll be looking at some highlights of the book over the next couple of months. And today, we begin with the story of the Garden of Eden. In today's story, we learn that God is a good, generous, caring God. If we were to go back and we were to to read the whole story of the Garden of Eden, beginning in verse 4, we'd see how God took a dead, dull, barren wasteland and turned it into a, a rich, luxurious garden park of delight. Maybe you've heard the song, They Paved Paradise and Put Up a Parking Lot. Well, God did just the opposite. God took an empty, inhospitable tract of land and made it into paradise. And God did it for humanity. And he put Adam in the garden so that Adam could enjoy all of its blessings. The beauty, the sights, the smells, the delicious food, the meaningful activity, along with plenty of leisure, I'm sure. Adam had it made in the garden. And above all of those pleasures in the garden, best of all, Adam had God, his creator. God's face shone on Adam. There was nothing negative between God and Adam. They shared love and intimacy as God walked with Adam in the garden. Now, we live in in a fallen world, a world that isn't paradise anymore. And so we don't often realize just how good it can be to be in a close, intimate relationship with God, the most amazing being in the universe. In fact, those who have made an effort, who have devoted themselves to get to God, to get to know God closely, have reported that that earthly pleasures are, are just mud puddles compared to the vast, refreshing, ocean deep pleasures of God when you really get to know God. As the well known hymn puts it, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Or as the psalmist expresses the same thought in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If anyone knew what what those poets were talking about, it was Adam. Adam knew what it was to enjoy a relationship with the most amazing, 
fulfilling being in the universe. Every day, Adam's heart delighted in, in an exciting, breathtaking relationship with God. It, it had to be even better than being in love. And that's why Genesis 2, 18 comes as such a shock. It comes out of the blue. It, it jolts us like, like a left hook that we didn't see coming. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. The original language here is highly emphatic. It is not good. It is really bad that the man is alone. Now, if you know anything about the opening chapters of the Bible, then you know that, that Genesis begins with another story of creation. We'll look at that in a couple weeks. And, and in that story, Genesis 1, as God makes everything, God says again and again, it is good. It is good. Nine times God says of his creation, it is good. And so it's double shocking here in 2.18 when now for the first time we come across something in God's wonderful creation which is not good. Can you imagine? God makes an amazing paradise garden for Adam. With every delight Adam could want. God himself is there in close relationship with Adam. But still something about this situation is not good. And that is that even though Adam has God, still Adam is alone. Do you realize the implications of this? God is not enough, according to Genesis 2. We can have a close, intimate relationship with God, and as good as that is, it's not good enough because we are still, in a sense, a very real sense, alone. You see, we are made not only for divine relationship, for that upward relationship with God. We are also made for human relationship, for that inward relationship that we have with one another as a community. We are created for community with one another. I discovered this the hard way when uh, in my early 20s, I spent three years living in Budapest, Hungary. Some of you know various parts of the story. Uh, up to that point, I had always had relationships with families and with, with friends. Um, and I think I'd probably taken those relationships for granted. They had just been there. And I had been taught as a young Christian that, that what I really needed was God. Um, that God should be more important than anything else, which was true. And that God was enough, which, as it turns out, was not true. Well, in Budapest, I, I didn't have um, a ready-made friendship group. And, and instead of developing one, I just figured God would be enough. Um, in fact, I thought I was being really spiritual, that I was really going to pursue God. And so I started seeking God. I started trying to put God above everything else, even friendships. I even turned down opportunities to hang out with other people so I could spend more time with God. And guess what? I got lonelier and lonelier. Eventually, it got so bad that I fell into a serious depression. And I couldn't understand why it was happening. After all, I was putting God first. I was seeking to let God meet my needs. Yet the pain and the darkness in my heart were, were just getting deeper and deeper. I needed to learn the lesson of Genesis 2. I needed to learn that it is not good for man to be alone. 
Sure, I, I should pursue God and, and draw close to God above all else. But what, what I didn't yet know was that, that you, just, you don't get to know God just in solitude. That just as much you need to get to know God through other people in community with God's people. Take it from Adam, the original prototypical human being. He has all the pleasures of the garden. He has a close, intimate relationship with God. And God said, says it is not good. Why? Because Adam is alone. And Adam has been created not to be alone. Adam has been created for community. And so have you and I. You know, they've actually discovered in recent years um, the wiring in our brains which uh, program us for community. God has wired us, literally, for relationships. We do not do well uh, psychically or emotionally or spiritually on our own. That's because we were created in the image of a creator who is a community, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is a relational God. God is God as a community. And when God made us in God's own image, God made us for community too. We can only be fully ourselves in community with others. So if you want to find yourself, don't just go off to a desert somewhere to be alone. Sure, do that. But also get involved in a community of other people who can speak into your life, who can help you to see who you are and who you were meant to be. You know, this message about community is, is a message that we desperately need to hear today because society tells us the exact opposite. Society tells us that, that if we just had the Garden of Eden, we'd be happy. If we just had the right job, the, the right lifestyle, the right look, the right romantic or sexual experience, even the right Facebook friends, then we'd be happy. We're taught that the secret to happiness lies in individual fulfillment and individual satisfaction. Society, society says it's all about you, right? And so we're raised and we're conditioned to put our education, our career, our lifestyle choices before our family and our friends and our church community. Isn't that a charcoal starting to smell good? Hang in there. <laughs> It's a good, good symbol of community, you know, people gathering around the barbecue. Um, so since society has, has just drummed into us that it's about our own individual success and pursuit of these things, we might wind up accepting that job promotion in another city, even though it involves sacrificing the relationships we spent so long developing. And we fill our lives with, with activities because we don't want our kids or ourselves to miss out on all the experiences that life has to offer. And, and since there's only so much time and so much energy, we wind up trading in relationships for experiences. Society has, has fed us the lie that, that we can work and we can buy our way into personal happiness. That happiness is found at, at Best Buy or at the car dealership or, or on the internet or the movie theater or in that next activity instead of 
at the family dinner table or on the neighbor's porch or at the church potluck. After all, there's not much money to be made in potato salad and lemonade, right? Yet, yet the irony is that people in our society today are more lonely and isolated and less happy and satisfied than we've ever been. Society has, has sold us a lie and we've believed it, even those of us in the church who've know, who should know better. So our creator who made us, who knows us better than, than we know ourselves, comes to us. And God looks into our psyches and he sees the stress and he sees the emptiness of our busy lives. And he speaks a compassionate but penetrating word of diagnosis. God says to us, it is not good for you to be alone. I have created you for community. Now, as a church, we're trying, right? We're, we're working on this community thing. And we've got a long way to go, especially for those of us who are younger, who are trying to, to work or study or raise families or, or get established in careers, and we're so busy. But can you imagine what an attractive group of people we will be to a lonely world as, we, as they see us laughing and eating and relaxing together? As they see that, that we have a community of people who, who are like family, who are there for us no matter what. As they see that, that our lives, um, or they see from our lives, that, that the bar isn't the only place you can go where everyone knows your name. That's what we were created for. Our good God has created us for community. When God says to Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. God is saying it because God knows and wants what is best for us. So the first lesson our passage teaches us is the problem of going it alone. The problem of no community. I want to look now at um, in less depth at three other lessons that this passage teaches us, which reinforce this first one. Three other lessons about community. I managed to make them all start with P. Um, the second is preparation for community. The third is provision of community. And the fourth is the pattern for community. So second, preparation for community. In verses 19 to 20, God prepares, excuse me, the man for community. God brings to Adam every animal that God has created so that Adam can name the animals. Now, in ancient cultures, people put a lot of thought into giving names. For example, you may be familiar with the fact that in traditional Native American cultures, often before a name was given to a child, they would take time to study and to observe that child, uh, to find a name that was suitable to the nature of that boy or girl. And, and so it would probably be wrong to picture God here parading the animals past Adam on a sunny afternoon and Adam just randomly, you know, picking names for each one on the spot. Rather, it seems more realistic that, um, that Adam was being the first biologist here, that, that Adam was diligently studying each animal for an extended period of time, perhaps considering their relationship to the other animals and, and then giving each a name which showed Adam's understanding and insight into what these creatures were and how they related to one another. Um, 
So who knows how long it took Adam to, to name all the animals. And as he worked at this job, this career, um, observing and considering and learning and categorizing, it must have become painfully clear to Adam that none of the animals was going to be a good companion for him. And that having a fulfilling career wasn't enough. God was preparing Adam for just the right companion. God was preparing Adam for community. You know, often we need to be prepared for community too. Um, many of us already know in our heads that it's important. And when we take time to slow down enough to listen to our hearts, we, we long for close community. And we say to ourselves, yeah, soon I'm going to I'm going to slow down and I'm going to make people a priority. I'm sure it'll just work out soon. Um, but I think a lot of us listen to our hearts the way I tend to listen to Anne when I'm focused on doing something else. You know, I'm busy doing something and she says, Dick, I need your help. And I say, um, uh huh. <laughs> and she says, it's important. <laughs> and I say, uh huh, just a minute. And she says, I need you now. <laughs> and I say, OK. And then I keep right on working, right? <laughs> um, sometimes it isn't until she gets in my face that I really hear her. And I think some of us need God to get in our, fa in our face about our relationships. Yes, God get in our face this morning. We need God to prepare us like God prepared Adam. We need maybe to pray, Lord, prepare me. Shake me. I'm always running 100 miles an hour and I don't hear what you or my heart is telling me. Help me to slow down and to realize my need for community so that I'll do something about it. Others of us avoid community because um, we've, uh, we've managed to, to, to numb, to dull the pain of being alone. Um, that was my experience when I got back from that lonely time in Hungary. While I was there, my loneliness had hurt so bad that, that eventually I just got numb to it. And um, by the time I got home to the U.S., I was so numb that I didn't, it didn't hurt anymore to be alone. I was used to it. Um, my pain was, was there, but it was buried so deep down. And, and as long as I could keep myself busy, um, I could go through my life and, and not need people very much. I, I wasn't happy, but at least I wasn't hurting. For others of us, maybe we've been um, deeply hurt or betrayed or, or we've been disappointed by a relationship. And, and we've told ourselves we are going to be a lot more careful before we trust our heart to someone again, right? Some of us have a lot that needs to be healed inside, that, um, that needs to take place before we can really relate to one another again. And God knows our hurt, and God wants to, to patiently prepare us to participate in community again. This might involve working through some painful things. Um, it, it might involve letting go of some bitterness that we've been holding on to with God's help. Um, and it will involve taking the risk of being hurt again. But God says to us lovingly and, and gently, let me prepare you for community. It is not good for you to be alone. The third P, then, is God's provision of community. Once, like Adam, we recognize our need for community, we are ready to receive God's provision. In verses 21 to 22, God not only points out the problem in Adam's life, but God also solves the problem. 
with, with great generosity, with parental care, God creates the gift that Adam is longing for and gives her to Adam. Adam gets a wife. Now, this is where the sermon becomes a marriage sermon, right? Uh, because this passage is really high on marriage. Marriage, in fact, is, is the climax of, of God's creation in Genesis 2. Genesis 2 starts with a barren wasteland, and it ends with a wedding celebration. But as we'll see, this passage is about much more than marriage. Marriage is not the answer to all of our loneliness problems. The story doesn't end with Adam and Eve getting married and living happily ever after. That would be a fairy tale, but this is real life. So pretty soon, kids come along, and then grandkids. Before long, there are families, there are communities, there are cities, as you keep reading the story of Genesis. Eve is the beginning of God's provision of community for Adam, but she's not the end. Much more community follows. All right, for the sake of time, let's move on from provision to our fourth and final P, and that is the pattern of community. Once Adam has received God's provision of community, he responds in verses 23 to 25. And the way Adam responds has a lot to teach us about marriage and about community in general. First, it teaches us that we are to receive and celebrate one another as gifts from God. Look at the way Adam receives and celebrates Eve. God has prepared Adam to be painfully aware of his need for companionship. Adam has been busy about his career. Adam has carefully studied all the animals. He's seen some strengths that he's liked in some and a lot of shortcomings as well. And none of them was, was just the right kind of partner for Adam. But then he meets the woman. And, and the first words out of his mouth in verse 23 are literally, This time! This one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. The man sees right away that, that she's just perfect for him and he receives and he celebrates her as God's good and perfect gift. Do you realize verse 23 is poetry? It's the first love poem. As I was studying this passage, it, it struck me just how high God is on women. None of them paid me to say this, okay? This is, this is right there in, in God's word. The climax of this whole creation story is a marriage love poem that, that is celebrating how great women are. We, we should also notice that, that Genesis 2 spends more time talking about the creation of the woman than anything else. The creation of, the Adam, of Adam gets one verse. The creation of, of the garden and its description gets seven verses, but the creation of the woman and, and what flows immediately after it gets eight verses. The creation of woman is so important to the writer of, of Genesis that he devotes all, almost half of the story in Genesis to talking about it. The well-known commentator Matthew Henry puts it this way. He says, if man is the head, then woman is the crown. A crown to her husband, the crown of the visible creation. The man was dust refined, but the woman was dust double refined, once removed further from the earth. Women, God thinks you are great. And men, just as Adam received Eve with celebration, we need to learn to celebrate the women in our lives. Whether wives or mothers 
or daughters or grandmothers or the spiritual sisters in the church. We aren't always good at this. And it's not just the men who aren't good at it. I'm sure you've heard of the book, Women Are From... No, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, right? That's the way often we as men and women feel about each other, like we're from different planets. Often we just don't get each other. And sometimes we wonder, God, why did you make him like that? Or why did you make her like that? But we need to hear God's answer. The woman is specially created to complement the man. And this suggests that the man complements the woman too. Now, for those of you who are married, sometimes we don't feel like that, right? Um, For Anne and I, every year we're married, I I think we've come to treasure each other more. But still, we, we have those days where Anne and I do not feel like we are God's gift. The other one is God's gift to us. And on days like that, we just need to take this truth in Genesis 2 by faith. We need to remind ourselves of it. We need to to say to God, God, okay, I'm willing to believe that this person is worth celebrating, but I don't feel that way right now. Show me how this other person has qualities which are what I need. God will show you. God will take you up on that prayer. God wants to teach all of us, men, women, to receive one another as gifts. And by extension, God wants to teach all of us to receive one another as good gifts. It is not good for us to be alone. We were created for community, and God has graciously given us the gift of one another. So we need to learn to celebrate those gifts. Henry Nouwen, a Catholic writer who lived for a number of years in a community of mentally challenged people, tells um, a story which gives us a great image of what it looks like to, um, to celebrate one another, or he, as he puts it, to bless one another. Let me read it to you. Not long ago, he writes, in my own community, I had a very personal experience of the power of a real blessing, the power of a real celebration. Shortly before I started a prayer service in one of our houses, Janet, a handicapped member of our community, said to me, Henry, can you give me a blessing? I responded in a somewhat automatic way by tracing with my thumb the sign of the cross on her forehead. Instead of being grateful, however, she protested vehemently, no, that doesn't work. I want a real blessing. (laughs) I suddenly became aware of the ritualistic quality of my response to her request and said, oh, I'm sorry. Let me give you... um, a real blessing when we're all together for the prayer service. She nodded with a smile, and I realized that something special was required of me. After the service, when about 30 people were sitting in a circle on the floor, I said, Janet has asked me for a special blessing. She feels that she needs that right now. As I was saying this, I I didn't know what Janet really wanted, but Janet didn't leave me in doubt for very long. She stood up, she walked toward me. I was wearing a long white robe with ample sleeves covering my hands as well as my arms. Spontaneously, Janet put her arms around me and put her head against my chest. Without thinking, I covered her with my sleeves so that she almost vanished in the folds of my robe. As we held each other, I said, Janet, I want you to know that you are God's beloved daughter. You are precious in God's eyes. Your beautiful smile, your kindness to the people in your house, and all the other good things you do show us what a beautiful human being you are. 
I know you feel a little low these days and that there's some sadness in your heart, but I want you to remember who you are, a very special person, deeply loved by God and all the people who are here with you. As I said these words, Janet raised her head and looked at me and her broad smile showed that she had really heard and received the blessing. When she returned to her place, Jane, another handicapped woman, raised her hand and said, I want a blessing too. (laughs) We all want a blessing, right? (laughs) We all want to be celebrated. And that's the pattern of community, to receive, to bless, to celebrate one another. But there's more to the pattern. And that is second, that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. Verse 25. I'm going to ask you to do something a little weird just for a minute here, so bear with me. (laughs) Imagine being naked in front of a group of people. A lot of you have had that dream, right? That nightmare? Yeah. Um, It it feels shameful. It feels embarrassing. It feels self-conscious. Why? Because from, from our deepest level, we are not comfortable exposing all of who we are to other people. We feel vulnerable. We feel exposed. We feel uncomfortable with certain parts of ourselves. And this goes far beyond our physical bodies, right? But Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. That, that's the result when we feel received and celebrated. We feel safe. Like flowers, that our beauty begins to unfold. Like turtles, we, we take the risk of, of poking our, our heads out of our, their hard, our hard, secure shells. And the pattern of community means growing in being honest and authentic and real with others. It means not hiding, not faking it. Now, I'm not saying we should be trying to bear our souls with everyone we meet. And I'm certainly not suggesting we return to the very minimalist fashions of Eden. But I'm saying that, that naked and unashamed is what our closest relationships are meant to look like. And, and that with our other relationships, we, we need to take some risks of, of letting people a little more into who we really are. Dropping the mask being honest, being real, taking a risk with some people that we think we can trust. And it's scary. It's, it's taking a chance. Not everyone is trustworthy enough that we should even take that risk with them, but there's people that are. And the rewards of doing so are immense because God has created us for intimacy, to be known and to know, to love and be loved for who we really are. Just a quick side note as we wrap up. um, If you want to continue this topic of naked and unashamed, I encourage you to read the devotional that's in your bulletin for today that Debbie Bellingham's prepared for us because she really does a wonderful job with this topic, taking it further. So stepping back... As we wrap up, as we begin another fall season together, I want to remind us that life should contain a warning label. Do not attempt this fall by yourself. (laughs) 
Because it is not good for us to be alone. We have been created for community. And as we grow into that as a church, then maybe they'll someday sing this, uh, the Cheers theme song about us. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, where they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Amen.